You're listening to Got Tech, the podcast with your hosts, Eric Geis and Nick Johnson. Welcome back to Got Tech, the podcast. This is episode 83 called 13 Creative Ed Tech Tools or Tricks to Make Classroom Activities Come Alive. In this episode, we'll share 13 ideas for making your classroom activities come alive with creativity and increased student engagement. We'll also share some information about the long-awaited release of the Hopewell Valley Student Publications Network at hvspn.com. This is another episode you don't want to miss. Check it out. So Nick 83, this is a pretty significant episode. This is now the beginning of our fourth year as a podcast. I can't believe it's been on. Well, this is the beginning of our fourth year. So it's been three years now. Yeah, three full years. It's pretty wild. And, you know, extra exciting that we get to talk about something so exciting as we enter into the fourth year. We also get to tell everybody. I mean, we've been talking about it for a while, but for the first time we can talk about it and then say, go visit it, go check it out. It's something that we're pretty passionate about. Do you want to do the official introduction to that? Yeah. So for the last couple of months, we've been talking student creativity and we've been talking a lot and sometimes it's good to put, you know, our words into action. And this is something that's been a long time coming. It's not like we just planned this out in one month and now it's, you know, out, out ready to go in full form or full blast. But uh, yeah, we just published the website for the Hopewell Valley Student Podcast, well, Student Publications Network. Originally, it was going to be a podcasting network, but we kind of want to include all forms of creativity. So we changed the P to publications. And now we have student-ran podcasts, blogs, vlogs, digital artwork, poems, short stories, uh, newspapers coming soon, the the school newspaper, as well as some just like general clubs coming together to make their own content, you know, published to the general public, which is really awesome. And I'm super excited about that. Yeah. The cool part to me is that this is like a school-wide thing. And I want to emphasize that. I mean, you can, and we've talked a lot about creating a podcast for your own classroom. We kind of just took that idea and blew it up and said, why not include everything from the entire school uh, and maybe even eventually the the entire district and put all of this digital media in one place. So like you said, we've got, you know, clubs that are producing a podcast and that podcast then gets posted and published through our network. We've got classes where that class podcast that was now just sort of locked into your class and it still can be and is, but then also it gets published to the this podcasting network as well. And we're also just showcasing student art on here published in sort of like blog form where there's different, you know, the photography club gets to send things in and and student artwork is featured as well. So I think that's for me, the neatest part of this is that we are bringing together all of these things into one sort of centralized location for the whole school. And I think think we're really seeing a lot of success with it already. A lot of student buy-in because the kids know that this work that they're creating, it's, it feels feels real to them because it is because it's actually going out there they you know when they send in that podcast for their class assignment within a week or two they can then go to Spotify and listen to it along with the rest of the world so I think that's really awesome yeah it is and I, I 
I want to share a couple of specific pieces of content that we've uh, thrown out onto this network. And like I said, it's all done by students. You and I and another teacher, Jeff, who was on a previous episode, we're all kind of managing the website and helping them get things onto the website, but they're making everything. We have podcasts that are already out there on uh, Apple Podcasts, Google uh, Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, all the major players. We have one that's on AP Biology. So if you have an AP Biology class, getting ready for that AP Biology exam, these students did a great job with, with that content. Uh, we have a music theory class, and this podcast is called Rhapsody. So the first one is My AP Biology Thoughts, and this one is Rhapsody. And it's a music theory uh, class that is blogging and podcasting and vlogging. So they have the triple threat going there. So that one's pretty cool. And I'm telling you, those are so creative. Listening to those, that's something that I'm going to subscribe to just because it is so interesting. Me not being very uh, musically talented, just like I'm not, you know, art talented. It's awesome to see this stuff. We have some amazing art, uh, digital art, pictures of art that they do, photography. We have several blogs that have these amazing showcases of student art and photography, short stories and poems, a lot of great stuff there with uh, our digital literacy magazine, which is called Panorama. So without any further ado, we'd like to introduce the HV spn.com hvspn.com we'll put it in the show notes this is the hopewell valley student publications network uh we have more podcasts on the way that are being recorded uh new podcasts we have new blogs new groups that are going to start publishing content i think this is a great way for students to go find other students that are doing something and maybe get that creative bug or get that design desire to create something and go check it out. Yeah. And I think I want to just second my, you know, we've obviously put a lot of this content online for the kids, but like guys said, it's all student created and it's just so impressive what they're able to do. My favorite one you already mentioned, I know is, is that Rhapsody podcast, but even if you don't check out hvspn.com to kind of see what this might look like, maybe you're interested in building something similar at your school. Um, you should at least go to wherever you listen to podcasts and check out this uh, Rhapsody because they did a, such a such a cool job just bringing in clips of songs, teaching people about music theory uh, as it pertains to different you know pop music and Christmas songs and all kinds of stuff. It was really great. So I think that's really cool. And I'm sure you'll be hearing a lot more about this from us in coming episodes too, because this is, this is a growing body of work. It's not something that's static. This is ever changing and there's always new content being added and posted. I plan on adding one of my own class podcasts to it as an end of the year project. So I'm just super excited about all that. You can follow Got Teched outside the podcast at gottech.com or on Twitter at WeGotTeched. I also think that it fits pretty well with our episode today, which is creative ed tech tools or tricks to make classroom activities come alive. And, and maybe HVSPN.com is, is a is a great way to introduce that because what better way to make your classroom activity come alive than make it real by adding it to an actual online publication, posting student audio to actual podcast players that are out there. So it kind of fits with our theme. We both 
collected, I think, uh, I mean, I said 13 in the episode title, but if you really added all these up, we're, I mean, we're probably coming close to 30 or 40 different things we might actually mention here, but grouped into 13 different ideas that really have one centralized goal or centralized theme, which is just, just amping up that creativity as much as possible to whatever classroom activities you're doing. So that's really the meat of today's episode. I'll get it started with one that I found, which is pretty cool. And this is a, a repeat EdTech tool, one of the best that's out there and, and continues to be one of the best. It is called Thing Link. Uh, if you're rolling your eyes at this point because you know Thing Link and you've heard about it and used it and are sick of it, maybe even have moved on from it, give it a second look because they really don't quit over there at Thing Link. They, they keep adding new features. And every time I check their website, I'm continually impressed with the, the stuff that you can do now. Uh, so this part was new to me. Uh, Thing Link has a mobile app that you can download on your phone. You log in with the same account that you would in the desktop version. But the cool part using the mobile app version is that you can literally be anywhere, open up the mobile app and use it to, of course, take a photo that you can then annotate in typical ThingLink style. Um, the really cool part for me is you can also set up like that panoramic three-dimensional media via ThingLink with your phone and with their mobile app. So if I'm in my classroom, I can use their app to get a 3D image of my classroom. And then the students can view that and click around sort of like for that virtual tour effect of my room or of anywhere that I find myself. As long as I've got my phone and I've got the ThingLink app, I can set it up. It's really cool. And you can do all of the annotations right in the app as well or not. Or you just take the, you know, record the image on your phone and then do the annotations later on the desktop version. So super awesome. They also, I'm not sure if this is new or not, but they integrated so you can actually share your ThingLinks with VR headsets. I know this is not common yet in classrooms, but it is becoming more and more common uh, to have available to you, maybe on like a cart or something, but some VR headsets where you can make your own virtual reality core experience by using ThingLink and then sharing that ThingLink to these VR headsets. So I think there's lots of cool stuff there and it always kind of gets my creative juices flowing when I when I see the new stuff that ThingLink is doing. So check that one out. Yeah, ThingLink has always been one of my go-tos, especially when I make uh, escape the rooms and things like that. I find ThingLink is a great platform to include puzzle building. So I'm going to check out ThingLink. I didn't I haven't used it since the mobile app has has come around, so I'll definitely check that out. So when we came up with this episode, we kind of just threw out the topic and that was it. So, you know, Nick has been a little bit more specific with uh, you know, specific projects where I'm going more categorical. That's such a fun word to say. I love categorical. It's a good but word. It, yeah. Anyway. Um, so I, I came up with these little like sentences, these little uh, topic descriptors. And I, for the first one, I just put, let a program do the work for you. So when I think creativity, I'm thinking, hey, they got to do a presentation or they have to make an infographic or something like that. And rather than you coming up with all the creative designs, why not use uh, programs like uh, Text Giraffe to make some type of a clever word slide. I also put another one in here. It's called Wordificator. Uh, Wordificator allows you to select an image and then you select uh, a whole bunch of words. And what it does is it will put those words inside of the, the image. So we were doing a wrestling mural 
to kind of celebrate our season this year through the pandemic and all the challenges that we've overcome. And we asked uh, our wrestlers, what's one word that described wrestling during these challenging times? So we gathered all the words and I had this outline of two wrestlers wrestling and then it put, automatically put those words inside of the uh, the wrestlers wrestling. And it, it made this really cool image and really just looking at it without me telling the kids uh, on the team what this image was, they knew what it was, which was kind of cool. Another one is uh, coolers, which I know Nick loves and he has mentioned before, but that's a great way to get colors that go together. You know, for me, I would never put certain colors together, but you know, Nick makes it work in some of the things that he did. He does. Uh, I know he just made this pretty awesome world language banner for all the uh, students that did really well on their tests and got recognized for it. And there were some interesting colors there that went along with our school colors that I would have never guessed. And the last one I have for this kind of heading is fancy text generator. Now this goes hand in hand a little bit with TextGiraffe. TextGiraffe has these little, almost like emojis or icons that represents the uh, letters. Fancy text generator is more of a font thing. So I really like that one. You just type in whatever you want to see. I, I typed in got tech in there and it came up in a hundred different fonts. And I kind of picked the one that I like the best out of that. So there are four different ones, TextGiraffe, Wordificator, coolers, fancy text generator, all hyperlinks will be in the show notes. Yeah, I like the approach you took to this, just sort of like a theme of letting a program do the work for you and then a bunch of different ideas. I think I can probably mirror that with a bunch of my own too. I'll try to fit it in here because I think that's helpful for people. I like it because, you know, if you're doing a project, you can, and I, I do this a lot of the times with my own class, you can just say, uh, hey guys, part of this is the text. Uh, should be uh, creative. Give me like a fun title that's not just the word typed out in Times New Roman or whatever your font is, but make it interesting, make it professional. And then beneath that list, say four options, say these four options, text draft, wordificator, coolers, or fancy text generator, and kind of let them play around and choose from that list. So I think that's kind of a neat way to pitch these as part of this episode. And, you know, you talked about coolers. I do love coolers. I also, I suck at choosing colors for things. I I'm not good at it. So, you know, if you see like, I think the poster you mentioned, it was sort of like our school has this gold. Is it Vegas gold? It's the worst color gold I've ever seen. Yeah, some some ugly gold. I have no clue what colors to put with that, uh, but coolers.co does. And <laughs> so I just, I just go there and it tells me here's three options that would look nice. And I'm like, yeah, okay, let's go with that. So so great, great picks there. I'll, I'll get into my next group of things too. How about letting Google provide the support rather than you're, you always doing it as the teacher? I mean, you're just one person. You've got 20 to 30 students all needing help. You can let... Google do some of that work for you, especially this year I've been finding with remote learning or hybrid where I don't necessarily even see kids. I have students that I have not and will not meet this entire year. Uh, when I'm pushing out worksheets, this is like a problem set style worksheet, but you could apply this to really any, even like a project description, like a handout you would give to them. If it's a Google Doc, I've been in embedding links and verbal moat comments as help or hints to students. So the idea being, you know, last in a normal year, we spend a lot of time in class working in groups and practicing things together. 
where students have lots of access to get extra help. And this year, almost all of that is gone. Whatever small class time we have, it's usually just for, you know, me presenting material or a very small amount maybe of practice. There's just not a lot of time. So I've been as part of my problem sets or my project descriptions if I know that a particular question is going to be challenging, I'll use Screencastify or some other screencast recording program to just record a quick video. Sometimes it's me just talking of my screen with this worksheet in front of me about that problem, giving them some hints, saying the things that I would say were we in person together and I was providing help, but instead just in this video. So when the student gets to number three and they read it and they're like, man, I don't know how to do that. There's a little link there that says click here for help. They click it and it's my voice walking them through it. Not the entire thing, of course, but at least some help to get started, some hints. And if I'm feeling a little bit lazy and I don't want to go through the process of making an entire video, I'll just use Moat, you know, an extension we've talked about a lot where I just record a little Moat comment and then that Moat comment gets embedded at that point and they know they can click it for some extra help. So I've found this really, really helpful and it actually has made my stuff a little bit more creative too because I can ask more of my students knowing that they can get extra help by clicking on these, these embedded hints, these embedded links. Uh, all I got to say is it's about time your class got modified. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> See what I did there? That's yeah. clever. <laughs> yeah. Um, I really like that. I, I haven't thought of using Moat as a, I think of it more of a feedback tool, but it's also a way to clarify directions or throw FAQs on a worksheet or, you know, anything along those lines. And it kind of makes you available even when you're not available in a in a certain sense. So I really like what you did there. I love that. Um, that's something that I will definitely include in our moat professional development as we go on. All right, so my next little heading here is give students a curated list of pictures and videos to use. If you are going to have them do some type of a creative project, rather than have them search all over the place for uh, things that are part of the creative commons or you know, you don't need to you want images that they're allowed to use and they could repurpose for themselves. So it has to be copyright free images. You have all the permissions to do whatever you want. So what I did here is I created a list of many, <laughs> I think I have like 13 or 14 uh, different sites that allow you to, uh, they have collections of images. Some of them, they have, a freemium where you get like 15 or 20 downloads or certain certain number of downloads uh, a month, um, where others are seem to be free for the taking whenever, wherever. And there are a couple that um, are free. You could do as many downloads. They just want you to make sure that you put, you know, a link saying that I got this image from this site. All right. So here are a couple of them. I'm not going to read them all. You could go to the show notes. They're all fantastic. I've used or been through or perused. That's another great word. Um, I perused each and every one of these, and I've used most of them in the past. So we have um, dreamstime.com. Uh, we have unsplash. We have burst, pexels, P-E-X-E-L-S, pixabay, which I think those two might have combined now. I'm not sure. I did hear something along those lines. I, I'm going to have to check that out. There's a stocksnap.io, Life of Pix. I guess that's like a playoff of Life of Pi. That's awesome. Yep. 
uh, gratis graphy, gratisography. So they're getting clever here. Uh, the next one, I will tell you, this is one of the ones that they have a lot of awesome pictures. Um, the only thing is they want you to put the uh, Jopwell collection uh, as credited for the photos. So that's called the Jopwell collection. Pick Jumbo. So pick Jumbo. Uh, Crello, Flickr. Uh, I put Canva for education because all those are are free to use. So that's cool. And I know, because I've been checking this out a little bit more, trying to get ready for an episode with uh, Mr. Brian Carpenter. I know Adobe has a lot of uh, pictures. So Adobe Spark has these uh, free to use pictures as well. And then uh, lastly, free images. Uh, the hyperlink is there, but it's free images. So it's pretty self-explanatory. So give them these curated collections of videos and pictures that they could use to do whatever they want. And that's going to help keep them on task and not go out and search everything. I wouldn't even give them this whole list. I would pick two or three of these sites that are your favorite and just give them those and tell them that they have to work off of those. So they're not spending a whole lot of time searching for decent picture to use um they have them right here yeah super important and you know also just important for students to know and learn that that's how the world works you can't just take any video or any photo or any song from anywhere a lot of times you have to pay for that to use especially if you one day say own a business and you're going to profit off that you, you have to buy the rights to it most students just don't know that so it'd be a cool thing to teach them and i gotta say man this the first one you read off uh, dreams time. I don't like the name because I find it challenging to say dreams time with that S in there, but I did type it in. This is pretty cool. They, ha they not only have photos, ro royalty free photos, they have vector images, which if you don't know, you can scale those up, uh, expand them and shrink them without any loss in quality. Um, illustrations, which are like, of course, hand drawn things. Unique to this is they also then include, I mean, they call them editorial images they're just pictures but of things that might relate to stuff happening in current events so like celebrities landmarks sports which is not common to free uh, image sites like this they also have video clips that you can use and audio all in one place so that impressed me right off the bat for dreams time nice nice choice there and then my next idea here for increasing creativity is one of our favorite things setting up a scavenger hunt we've talked about this a lot where you use different google sites uh, as part of the scavenger hunt where the end of the URL is editable by you and you can make that part of the scavenger hunt. So students have to find it and then type it in and that takes them to the next site almost as like a clue. QR codes are great for in, you know combining in-person hunting with uh, sources or hints online. You can do a similar thing with bit.ly images where they know they have to type in bit.ly slash whatever. And then that little end piece is part of a code that they have to find. You can do the, a similar thing with tiny URLs or any of those. I did find a new one too, that was pretty cool and caught my eye. Uh, there's a, an add-on called doc secrets. And with the doc secrets add-on, you can take a Google doc and type in text, but then password protect that text. So it just shows up as a block of color. So the idea is, you know, if, if you are wanting to share a doc, but keep some things private to some people, but available to others, you highlight the text. Uh, and then with doc secrets, you can set a password for that particular chunk of text. 
you know, which is great for all kinds of applications, maybe in the business world or if you're, you know, in whatever your job might be, you might not want to share that. Um, but how cool to sort of build that in maybe to your classroom scavenger hunt where everything is contained on that one Google Doc. Uh, but then they have to do your students have to do some kind of work or complete a task or find something to get the passwords to reveal these different blocks of text that are hidden. So those passwords are all editable by you and you can set multiple passwords for multiple different regions of text within your doc. I think that could be really, really cool. They do specify just so you know, not to use this for like your actual passwords. They don't claim to be extremely secure, but for a, a classroom scavenger hunt, I mean, there's nothing, you know, no harm, no foul there. So give it a shot. The doc secrets add on for Google docs for your next scavenger hunt. Why not? I just wrote that one down. I had to. This is like the game creator, or uh, I, I said this earlier, the escape the room creator's best friend. That's yeah. what I'm thinking. But I'm almost thinking, we talked a little bit about how we've been contacted a little bit to talk a little bit about the outdoor classroom because we're big into the outdoor classroom. Take them outside, put QR codes on all, like tie them around trees, the QR codes. And now you're mixing this scavenger hunt with kind of like an outdoor escape the room. I guess you're not escaping yeah. the room, but you're escaping something. You're right. escaping reality, but they have to go and find a container that has a QR code hidden somewhere on campus. You give them hints to get there. They get there. Hey, guess what? There's a little problem set here by taking the uh, problem set and getting them numbers and their answers, now they have a code to put into that sheet, which gives them directions to the next one. And and that's what I'm kind of seeing. So meshing those two worlds together, I think that's awesome. So uh, my my wheels are, are turning in my head, the little hamsters uh, going at a nice medium pace right now. <laughs> okay, good. I'm glad. <laughs> um, I'm pretty happy about that one. I wrote that one down. Good stuff. Okay. All right. So my next one is to add music or allow students to make their own music. And I, I wrote down a couple of different spots for this. You did a nice job with uh, making the Got Text Guide to Student Music Creation, which I hyperlinked into the show notes. So I'll throw that out at you. And it's a whole bunch of sites that uh, Nick curated and put them all together and kind of explain the differences uh, in some of the different sites that allows you to, um, your students to either grab music that they can use in their projects or to make music. Uh, some of the highlights that I like, uh, one that we haven't mentioned in a while is Incredibox. Uh, that allows them to make beats. So I really like that one. Uh, soundtrack is one that I see is very popular within our student population already. Uh, a lot of Students made their own beats uh, in Soundtrap and then put them into their podcasts. And then one that you and I have definitely become more of a fan of lately is YouTube Music Library or Audio Library. That has a lot of different uh, songs, instrumentals, beats, sound effects, all that good stuff in there. So definitely check out those. Encourage your students a lot of times Music is what brings everything together. It's a, such a big part of our lives. So encourage them to to take the extra step and maybe do an intro with some music in the background or something like that. So these are my 
music selections. So go check out the Gut Text Guide to Student Music Creation. Yeah, and then for for that one, I'll uh, throw in Incredibox is the one you want to push that doesn't really take any skill on your part. It's kind of done for you. And at least as of a couple years ago, we reached out to those guys about uh, downloading their music because that's one of the options when you create one of the beats there you can download it and they did not care if you used it to create your own stuff as long as you weren't going to be profiting from that so we you would want to update that and sort of double check to make sure that that is still the case but for educational purposes i don't see why they would have an issue with it so i like all those um and i love you know that idea of getting students to not just find music but maybe make it themselves really really great for creativity uh, my next thing, I'm actually going to do two. I forgot to mention back when you were uh, talking about letting a program do the work for you in terms of titles, fonts, making things look nice. This is more just like a little trick that I found that I actually didn't know. It's always bothered me with, with Google Docs that when you click on their little font options, there's there's not that many. Uh, if, you know, if you're used to using Word like many of us were before we made the Google switch, there is a lot more fonts. And there's all kinds of add-ons, extensions you can get that give you lots of different fonts. But at the top of that dropdown, if you just click on more fonts, uh, it takes you to like uh, just a ridiculous catalog of built-in fonts, probably maybe even more. I can't say that for sure because I did not check. But man, it seems like way more than I ever saw when I was still using uh, Microsoft Word to do my document creation. So you can check that out as like one other place to send students for making their fonts and titles look as appealing as possible. Uh, So there's that as the first one. And then I I feel like I always bring this up, but I just can't get away from these things. I really am liking mind maps more and more and more, especially as study tools for students. I think it sort of ties in that visual learner who, especially kids today will tend to you know, they just want to take a study guide and they don't, they just kind of, they just look at it, right? To them, that's studying or flipping through their notes and just looking at what they've written down. But you want to engage them in that, right? You want to tie in as much active learning with that studying process as possible. And to me, mind mapping is just a no brainer. So there's obviously tons of different tools that will do this. Click up, MindMeister, Mila Note. Mind Genius, Lucid Chart is a really popular one. Coggle, C-O-G-G-L-E is another. Um, my my favorite here, the one that I wanted to sort of feature as maybe being most helpful to students is called MindMeister, where if you have a bulleted list in, in a Google Doc, so this could be something that, you know, if you're teaching your kids about study skills, part of that studying can be making that list, retyping stuff that you've written down from class or notes you've taken from watching a video, and then making it visual by using a tool like MindMeister. So it's an add-on, like I said, All you do is highlight it and then it automatically can turn that list into a mind map where it connects the different circles and areas of the map based on the indentations that are present there in the original bulleted list. So I think mind mapping is really great, almost uh, for me at least, sort of like the untapped resource. I'm going to keep trying to do more and more and more stuff with that. And that's a really easy tool to use. Yeah, that's uh, pretty cool. Uh, I know for AP Biology this year, I always started with the introductory slide, and I tried to connect everything that we were going to go over in that particular topic or within that particular lesson. I tried to make a mind map connecting everything. So 
before we would start the lesson, I would ask them to try to connect as many of these pieces as they can already. And then after we did the lesson, I had them go back to that mind map and see if now they can connect all the pieces just to see how much they got from that lesson. I, I thought that was very rewarding and it was a pretty awesome strategy to use. Yeah. Uh, I got a lot of positive feedback from students on that strategy as well. All right, so my next one is to introduce sites that allows you to manipulate photos. What I mean by that is you already have the photo, but you wanna make changes. Uh, whether it's using Slazer or remove BG and just getting rid of the background, putting a new one in there. Uh, you could also use Pixlr or Snapseed to change the filters there a little bit, crop images, things like that. Uh, or you could use a photo of somebody to drop it into another photo. And my favorite one for that, and I haven't mentioned this one in over a year, so I'm gonna bring it back today and that's Photofunia because I still use it all the time. So that is my next group of tools. We really do have a lot of different tools and links in this episode. So uh, I'll make sure that the show notes are pretty thorough with the links and everything. Uh, so you could go back and check it out. Yeah, this is this is definitely a, a show notes list you guys are going to want to look at uh, from our website, guttech.com. Uh, so, and then my next one, actually the last one that I found, I'm going to call this letting able bits. If you haven't heard of able bits, you can check them out at ablebits.com, but you can let able bits bring professionalism to your students reports. So, you know, we do all kinds of different student reports and sometimes the report can even take the form of, you know, more of like an infographic or a video. And there's tons of ways where you can change that into something else. But Let's say you do have something where you're still doing like that classic report. AbleBits is a really unique thing where they, this is another uh, Google Doc add-on, but what it lets you do is bring in some sort of pre-developed styles to your Google Doc. And they also have one for Google Sheets, which I'll talk about in a second. But I, I think the best way for me to explain this is when I create say a worksheet or something for class, I have a pretty standardized way of setting up my, my titles, the font that I use, the size of the font for a heading, a subheading, whether it's bolded or not bolded. Some things are size 16, others are 12 and so forth. Well, really for, for me, that's a style, right? That's a, a standard style that I use for all of my docs that I push out for my classes. And that's something that I do just because I want my things to look uniform and professional and, and nice so that the kids know that I put time into it and take it seriously. You don't always get the same stuff back from them. A lot of the times it's just getting stuff down on paper so that it's there and it's finished. They don't have the time or want to put the effort into creating a style. But at the beginning of a project, you could share AbleBits uh, and their add-on, which has, I think the number is 20 different built-in styles. So either before you start creating that final report or even after you've typed in all the information, you can select from one of these 20 styles and it automatically formats everything you've done so that your headings look a certain way, a certain color, certain font, whatever it is. Um, there's no time for you, the creator, or for your students if you're showing them how to use it because it's all done for you. So they don't, they don't even have to pick or generate the style. They, they're there. It just is automatically applied 
to what's already been typed out. And I just think that's really cool and might really increase the quality and, and who knows, maybe even then the creativity of some of the stuff that you get from them. If you're doing stuff in Google Sheets, I, I was just helping my wife uh, recently making something for her job in an Excel spreadsheet. She wanted it to look nice, uh, look professional, kind of be color coded in certain ways. Uh, AbleBits also has a table styles add-on. So if you're in Google Sheets and you've got a spreadsheet with some data typed in, there's a bunch of different styles that it can automatically apply to that data. So the headings are a certain color and then super neat and organized and looks awesome. I think this could bring a lot to, to all sorts of different uh, projects in your class. AbleBits. AbleBits. Go check it out. It's with Google Sheets. And I'm not going to mention another thing that I'm not great at, but I've definitely improved in this area. And that's just the functionality of Google Sheets. You could probably spend three, four, five different podcasts on just Google Sheets alone, just going over all the functionality of it. And this is one thing that would normally take a lot of time. And if you use this add-on, that time is saved and you, you could use that time for other things. So I'm, I'm going to definitely check out uh, AbleBits there. So I have three more. I don't know how this happened, but uh, I have three more and I'm going to quickly go through a couple of them because really we just wanted to mention some content that we have put out there that is available to you. One of the things is with uh, using audio uh, in your classroom. So we call this the audio replacement strategy or aka using audio as assignments, whether it's a podcast, whether it's a a quick uh, feedback, piece of feedback that they're sharing with their their peers, or if it's a peer review or anything like that, they could use audio. And we put together the God Tech Teacher's Guide to Student Podcasting 2.0. So we had, we made one a couple years ago. We updated it. We have a lot a lot more tools, tips, and tricks in there. It's very thorough, but it also has part of our curriculum that we've made for podcasting within that. So it's a great resource for you to use. If you're interested in using audio in the classroom, I would go to the show notes, click on that one, download a copy for yourself. Uh, the next one is hands-on game creation. Uh, I think games are an amazing way to connect students to content. It almost tricks them into learning. Uh, I mentioned a couple times this episode, escape the rooms do that, but you don't need it to be so big and elaborate as a escape the room. You could pair two students up and say, hey, build a puzzle that is content-based or build a board game that is content-based or build a model of something that you just learned. Models, building, that type of creation is part of that whole, uh, it has a lot of game elements to it. Make a simulation using Google Slides and, and animate it. So there are a lot of different things there that you could do with hands-on game creation. It doesn't even, sorry to jump in, but your game, I kind of like to tell people this too. It doesn't have to actually be make the game. It can just be a designing the concept of the game. And that's the project. You don't have to have all the skills. I even did a project one time that was designing a video game. We didn't actually make video games. I don't know anything about coding, let alone coding for a game. But it was still super fun to think about and plan it out and create music for your video game and a storyboard for how the game's going to work and have that tie into the content. So just remember too, like, like you were mentioning there with making a model, it doesn't have to be the actual game itself. It can just be like a model of that game or some part of it. 
And I think that's an, an important uh, note with all that stuff. I, I agree wholeheartedly. Uh, the last one that we have here is storytelling, and I'm going to quickly go through this, but just think about it. We use narrative for everything we do in education. Every time a teacher teaches a lesson, there's a narrative behind it, all right? The narrative is usually what hooks the students into learning, all right? It's, it's not the information itself. It's how that information applies to a certain scenario. Really effective teachers use great narration to make their lessons work. And I, th I just think that's phenomenal. So there are a couple of apps, um, ed tech tools that I have down for this one. A storyboard that is one and book creator is another. There is another comic uh, tool that I came across. I wrote it down, but I cannot find it. I think it started with, I think it's Pixtoon, P-I-X-T-O-O-N. Uh, I have to double check that, but I'll have the correct one in the show notes for you to check out. But uh, I know with this whole Bitmoji um, craze where you have an avatar and there are a lot of teachers at the beginning of the pandemic that wanted to have many different avatars, but they couldn't find a way to do that with their Bitmoji because they had to keep changing their Bitmoji. Uh, Pixtoons basically makes those avatars for you. And it's a lot easier. You just select which uh, avatars that you want to copy into a scenario and you go and do that. So it's made for you. So that one's pretty awesome. You could drag those into a, a Google Doc or slides or whatever you want and add text boxes to them. Or you could do it right into their program. Uh, Pixtune, I think they're, they're one of the up and coming uh, tools that I'm definitely going to be using. But uh, they're pretty amazing. Yeah, I just pulled it up as you were talking there. It does look great. They even have it s separated out. Like when you go to the main page, it's for educators. There's a section for students, a section for parents, and then a business section as well. So it looks like uh, that would be a really, really cool thing and sort of bring that, uh, like you said, that Bitmoji craze to the to the next level. Awesome, awesome choice there. So I think that wraps up our list too. That's pretty impressive. Tons and tons of stuff here. I hope accompanying all those, you know, different tools were also some ideas that you can help to incorporate and sort of get your own creativity going when you're designing your next classroom project or activity. As always, we'll close by asking you guys to, if you're a fan of the show, to do us some favors. First of all, subscribe to Got Tech, the podcast. You can find us, of course, on any common podcast player, Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and so forth. Um, so please go there. We are posting stuff to YouTube as often as we can as well, sort of like the visual side of the podcast in smaller bursts. So please subscribe to our YouTube page as well. Uh, both active on Twitter, guys, especially you can find us at guys got tech at Nick got tech or the whole show at we got tech. Uh, so that's one of the best things you can do to help out the show. Even better. If you're a, a even bigger fan, you could write us a review that helps tremendously. And uh, my personal favorite is just tell people about gottech.com. If you think we have something to offer, let your colleagues know about us and that they can also maybe find something for them. Thanks for listening. 
Thanks for listening to Got Tech, the podcast. Remember to subscribe to our show and follow us at We Got Tech on Twitter so you can stay up to date with the latest episode releases, blog posts, product reviews, and PD announcements. You can also follow Geis and I individually at Geis Got Tech and at Nick Got Tech on Twitter or on Instagram at Nick Got Tech. Finally, remember to check out our website, gottech.com, where we post all our episodes, articles, and resources available to you for free. Until next time.